why am I doing this? I think any coach should be honored and privileged to answer their member's question. If the member says to them, why are we squatting today? I love that so much. Why are we squatting again today? It's not a shot at you, coach. It's a legitimate question of a member trying to understand the principle of the methodology you're choosing, the movements. Why, why are we squatting again today? I'd like you to explain to me why it's important for me at 165 pounds to be able to squat 330 pounds. Why do I need to be able to squat twice my body weight if that's what I was pursuing, which at one point in the gym, I was. Belt, lifters, knee sleeves, the works. Why is that important? Before we get you to the interview, remember, this podcast is brought to you by the Active Life Seminar. We used to travel around the country and people would pay up to $1,500 to fly somewhere, stay in a hotel, buy food, get a rental car, and miss work to take our two-day seminar to learn how to better assess their clients and their members in their gym so they can identify the movement impairments that are going to hold them back, cause them aches, cause them pains, cause them injuries before it happens. The movement assessments that we teach to coaches, the theory and the science behind them, leads gym owners who have clients who are joining their gym from other gyms just like it. So if you own a CrossFit gym, a member joins your CrossFit gym, and they say they've been doing it for the last two or three years. You put them through our movement screen, and what you're going to hear from them is, nobody has ever been that thorough with me before. And they love it. So this podcast is brought to you by the Active Life Seminar. You can find it on our website. And when you go there, all you got to do is enroll in the next seminar. You can do it from home. Do it from the gym. No hazmat suit. No mask. No touching weird people you never met before. This is your first step to finally turning your passion for fitness into a meaningful and fulfilling career. And we believe that fulfilling means you have the ability to help all of the clients who you want to help while earning the financial and time freedom to live the life that you want outside of the gym. That's it. Hope to see you at the seminar soon. Welcome back to another episode of Turning Pro on the Active Life Podcast. We're going into part two of two of how we can make CrossFit gyms even safer. I'm Larry Geyer. I'm here with Dr. Sean Pestuch. What's up, guys? So in the first part of this little uh, mini-series, if you will, we talked about using the assessment as the number one forefront plan to help bring members into the gym, find out ways that we can keep them safer than they already would be in class, so that problems that would otherwise arise in class can be identified before they ever become problems. And this allows them to squeeze more out of their gains in, in fitness and health than they otherwise would have. Mm-hmm. Today, I would like to talk about the second biggest opportunity, in my opinion, to make CrossFit gyms even safer and effective by talking about exercise selection, what has always been chosen, what we can potentially add or reconsider about how things are chosen so that we can give more and more and more to what CrossFit could provide for people. I love it. Great. So I think that where we should start is let's talk about uh, diminishing returns okay. and what it means and, and where it starts to show itself, especially in the CrossFit environment. Now, it shows itself everywhere. We're talking about CrossFit today. To me, diminishing returns are when you're no longer hitting PRs 
when you walk into the gym. Now, I think that we could argue and, and it would be reasonable to discuss that the, the, the pursuit of PRs isn't necessarily a valuable thing, but we're talking to an audience of people who like to measure themselves, who like to know where they're at, who like to be able to track their progress. So I make the concession that if we're going to track PRs, great. I believe that it's worth it to start looking well outside of what you're currently doing when you reach the point that you stop hitting a new PR every three months doing what you're doing. Mm. And we all, we've all been there, right? I mean, I remember, uh, the first time I ever bench pressed Calhoun high school, dingy, dingy weight room. It was decent size. It was cool. There's a batting cage in it. What but you put, you're probably putting up at least 95 pounds. Um, I don't know if I got to 95 pounds. I, I, I remember looking at the guys who could put the big weights on the side, the, the, the full wheel and being like, that guy's jacked. What a beast. Mm-hmm. Adam Rosner. If you're listening to this, you're probably not, but Adam Rosner was a monster. This guy was benching like 135 in high school. I thought so. So I'm a freshman, you know, he's, he's a sophomore at the time. And I'm like, I can, I'm benching the bar and like maybe a little bit of like the five or the tens on the side. And by the end of the quarter, like the school quarter, I was almost at 135. By the end of the year, I had surpassed 135. And it was, it was like the gains just come so fast, so fast. And then it reached a point for me where I got to college and my, my bench wasn't going up anymore. Really, that was the end of it. I, I wasn't benching. Any, I couldn't get to the 225. Like That was the number I really wanted. Frankly, I didn't work that hard for it. But that was the number I really wanted. Couldn't get to it. So I was like, you know what? Creatine. I'm going to take creatine. And I had this big debate with my father, the chiropractor, over the efficacy and safety of creatine. Like it was a, uh, like, like I had to inject it. It was nothing. It's creatine. And I took it and I got my bench to 235 in the next three months. Great. Creatine really works like that, huh? Never taken it. Huh? Well, it's, I think it's like anything else. It works as hard as you do. Right. You know, you could, if, if you're going to sit at home and take steroids, for example, you're not going to get fit. You're not going to become athletic. You're not going to get strong mm-hmm. unless you tax your body right, right. using the steroids. But anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up is I chased a number. I chased 225. I got to 235, 240. Outstanding. Great. Bench 240 pounds. My shoulders started to hurt. Like my, my, my wrists started to hurt. It, it wasn't worth it for me with the frame that I have to continue pursuing that, that weight. But I was a college sophomore, college junior, young, dumb, full of cum, wanted to just find as much weight as I could move and feel really good about myself, right? It wasn't a wise pursuit. I see this in all gyms across the world, especially in CrossFit gyms, as we chase things like Olympic lifting PRs, squat PRs, deadlift PRs. Because once you hit a certain point with the strength movements, you start to kind of make really slow progress. And then you get into the skill movements and you make fast progress because you can handle extra load as your skill improves. Follow me? Mm -hmm. And then it becomes like, you're watching somebody's videos online and they're 
hitting a five pound PR from two years ago. To me, that's sport. It, it, it leaves the realm of physical fitness and goes into sport. And that's where I think we need to really be careful and start to slow down. So what's the, what's the biggest overall difference between making sure that people are pursuing their health and their fitness versus starting to pursue sport? I think it's setting boundaries for yourself and saying, okay, what, why am I doing this? I think any coach should be honored and privileged to answer their member's question. If the member says to them, why are we squatting today? I love that so much. Why are we squatting again today? It's not a shot at you, coach. It's a legitimate question of a member trying to understand the principle of the methodology you're choosing, the mm-hmm. movements. Why, why are we squatting again today? I'd like you to explain to me why it's important for me at 165 pounds to be able to squat 330 pounds. Why do I need to be able to squat twice my body weight if that's what I was pursuing, which at one point in the gym I was? Belt, lifters, knee sleeves, the works. Why is that important? And the coach should be able to answer it. Mm. I've heard good answers. I just think all of those answers could be, the best answer I've heard is why shouldn't we try to improve ourselves at all times? It's a great answer. My counter to that is why is this the one thing that we're deciding is so important to improve ourselves in if we haven't gotten from zero competency to minimum competency in these other things. Right. So, so in other words, what it's coming down to is how did you decide, agree? Why should we, we should all be trying to improve ourselves. How did you determine that this is the best course of action for you to be doing that now? Right. And, and I think that CrossFit gyms, um, have the unique opportunity because of how they're laid out and because of the equipment that they have in them. Most gyms, try to fill the space with stuff. Commercial gyms are filling the space with stuff. You can't find a 40 by 40 open square foot, right? Right. Like you're not going to find that Mm -hmm. CrossFit gyms. That would be a really small gym, right? So they have the space to let human bodies move Mm -hmm. and do cool things. Why do we limit them to things that include, um, this, this narrow, group of movements that we prioritize so we can create with the layout the crossfit gyms have the opportunity and based on the space and the equipment and the layout and uh the coaches right more than anything the Mm -hmm. coaches to be able to pursue levels of curating this experience for people that is going to translate to their life in a huge way that a commercial gym that's just cluttered with equipment might not be able to do without the personal trainer. I think they need the personal trainer to be able to do that. Or the person who's working in that gym as a client, a member needs to really have a high level of acting. Yeah. Yeah. And those, if you, for people who have been to commercial gyms, they're the standouts, right? They're the people that you look at and you say, this person knows what they're doing, right? They, they, they claim space and they're moving around and they're doing things that look like, Oh, this person's good at life. Right. The the, the way I describe commercial gyms is like, if, if, if you have no experience, um, with auto mechanics, it would be like going to a garage and trying to fix your brakes just because all the equipment is there. Right. And then be like, all right, let's take it on the highway, see how it goes. I think that's a great analogy. It's, it might not be what you want to do. That's a great analogy. We're in the CrossFit gym. It's, it's not quite that. It's, all right, everybody grab your wrench. Mm-hmm. I'm showing my lack of automob- 
automotive automotive mechanic skills right now. I don't know if they use a wrench or not. Uh, but there's got to be some. There's got to be a regular nut on a car, right? Like whatever. Grab your wrench. We're going to be looking for a nut that looks like this. They hold it up. They show the whole room. When you find it, it's going to be over here below this. On the, you can show somebody how to find that thing. Now, if you're not coming around the room to check and make sure everybody tightened it properly, you risk somebody's mm-hmm. nut falling off the car. Mm-hmm. But a coach who walks around the room and does that can do a really good job of making sure everybody's nuts are tight. And the exercises that you're choosing are determining what kind of vehicle you're putting together. Yes. So I'll give some really simple examples. And I've seen gyms do these. So I want to be clear. I'm not suggesting that gyms don't do them. I'm suggesting that they're deprioritized in comparison to other movements like squats and deadlifts. Turkish get-ups. Windmills. Who know what's, what's your PR Turkish get-up? Most people don't know, Right. What's your windmill PR? Most people don't know. And if we're on the topic of PRs, why are those less important to know? Right. Right. So what, how many times can you get down to the ground on your back and up without using more than two points of contact in one minute? Why? Take, take why? it to 10 minutes, then it gets real fun. Sure. Yeah. Why is that not an important skill? Mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that squatting is bad or that deadlifting is bad or any of those things. I'm suggesting that these other things are also good. And inside of a CrossFit gym, we have the space. So we should explore it. So if we're, in other words, if, if human beings are the most complex movers on the planet, which I believe we are, mm-hmm. why are we limiting ourselves to a small collection of all the things the body could do? Right. Is that, right. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, the counter argument is a good one. What do you mean small collection? There's hundreds of movements that happen in a CrossFit gym. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. How many of them do we do as often as we squat? Right. How many of them do we do as often as we deadlift? Mm-hmm. How many of them do we do as often as we push press? I'm not suggesting that those are not useful exercises. I'm suggesting, again, that we need to be more diverse about the exercises that we select to do. When somebody's back squat stops improving when they've been a member for two years and they've been squatting once a week for two years, they probably can squat enough weight to get through life. I mean, they probably can squat enough weight to get through life. I'll never forget my wife, Kimberly. We, we were, we had opened our first gym 2000. It was 2011. It was August and the equipment had just come and it wasn't open yet. But the, the first, we put together the first two squat racks, like a four by six piece of the rogue rig that we bought. And we were so pumped. We're like, we're going to squat on the tile floor. It's going to be sick. And we'll get like the flooring comes in two weeks, whatever. We were just like kids in a candy store with our new equipment. I put a barbell on Kim's back and I'm like, all right, so you're going to squat all the way down and all the way up. She squats all the way down. And I'm like, all right, now up. And she's like, I can't. I'm like, it's an empty bar. What do you mean you can't? She's like, I can't get up. I'm like, get up. So you can't get up. I had to spot her, get the bar up. Okay. Bring her down from 35 pounds to the 15 pound training bar. All right, let's go ahead. Squat all the way down, all the way up. Couldn't get up. I'm like, whoa. Okay. She really needs some squat strength. Air squat. She can do that. Great. Okay. That's your starting point. You're going to air squat. By the time that Kim had done her last workout at the gym, 
she was squatting near 135 pounds. How much does she need to squat before we say, how come you can't sprint? How come your sprint looks like that? Let's improve your sprinting. That's the conversation I want to have. Could I have been more responsible with my own wife's fitness when she was in my gym? And I think the answer is yes. Got it. The other thing that it brings to mind is um, when you when you think of an exercise like running, when there's running in a workout and you send someone out for 400 meter intervals or 800 meter intervals or today we're running a mile and then we're going to do all this crazy stuff and then we're going to run another mile. Mm-hmm. Over the course of a mile, let's say someone's running, taking 7,000 steps, whether they weigh 115 pounds or they weigh 250 pounds and they're doing that mile. Um, they're going to look very, very different, presumably. And how many other exercises in the gym would we permit 7,000 reps that maybe aren't good for the person's joints, mm-hmm. right? Where, where, where would that happen that we would allow that to happen? If someone's not doing that, we can't teach them. If they're missing range of motion or skill in running, we can't teach them that on a mile run when they're already tired. So what are the exercises in the gym that we could be offering to improve the safety and efficacy with which someone can do that? Right. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think that a really good um, argument that somebody could make about this statement I just made about Kim's inability to squat Mm -hmm. when she could now deadlift 135 pounds, excuse me, squat 135 pounds and she couldn't sprint um, is, well, at our gym, we do sprint. Great. Yeah, it's awesome. Great. I believe you're the exception, Mm -hmm. not the rule. And we're talking to the rule. And if you are that exception, I imagine that there are other places where you could be more diverse with your training as well. So pursue that. You probably have the capacity to do so. And what you're talking about with the running, I think is so important because you wouldn't let somebody do even 25 burpees with dangerous technique. Mm-hmm. But people run out of the gym, they go 400 meters to the left, and then they come 400 meters back, and it's an 800 meter run, half of what you were describing. And because of the way that we do it, the the coaches have to stay inside of the gym because when they come back, there's something else that's going to be done. And it's just unreasonable to expect the coach to be able to track every member, every step, 800 meters. It's not happening. Right. It's not even, we shouldn't even try. I don't think. I don't think it's a worthwhile pursuit. So what did you do leading up to those members running out of the gym? I'm not talking about that day. I'm talking about that quarter. What exercises did you do to ensure good running technique, to ensure that people have the ability to withstand the running, to ensure that you know why they're not getting faster? Right? Is it that they don't breathe well? Is it that they don't have good force production? Is it that they don't swing their arms appropriately? Is it that they swing their arms too much? What is the reason? Is it that their, their feet are swinging out to the side because they have no hip drive? Are you looking at these things? All of these have exercises that can be done in the gym that would create the environment that that person needs to run better. Right. And I think that that's how these gyms can start to really have transformative impacts. Transformative. On right. right. Like I, I think it's inarguable that the average person who goes to any fitness modality across the board for a group fitness experience, I honestly, you might disagree. You might not. I think it's inarguable that aesthetically 
a CrossFitter as a general rule is going to have the best response across the board. You're going to see the best examples of the human physique and its capacity in a CrossFit gym when you compare it to Orange Theories, to Fit Bodies, to Barry's Boot Camps, to all these different places. You're going to see the pinnacle of what somebody's capable of getting to in CrossFit gyms, undeniably. You're also going to see work capacity across broad time and modal domains, which is the standard for CrossFit's definition of fitness. What I think we can do is broaden it even more. That's what I'm getting at. We can broaden it even more so that it's productive for life outside of the gym. How do you think that gyms can start to approach that? It's a great question. I think that they can start to approach it by going out and getting experience and knowledge from spaces that are not inside of the bubble of what they know. Mm. Go join a good track coach's practices. Learn how to learn how to run from a track coach. Right. You know, go learn how to throw a discus right. from a field coach. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to have your members throwing discus, but you're going to learn about rotation. Right. We got med balls and you got a wall. Right. So you're going to learn about these little nuances of technique that are going to make you better. Um, play sports. And Greg Glassman, the, the founder of CrossFit, uh, CrossFit, talks about this. Try and play new sports. Um, that wasn't exactly his quote. I butchered it. But, but the idea is he, was, he talked about this. You need to constantly be doing new things to expand your horizons. And I just don't know how often everybody is doing that. I think that some are doing it really well and others are not doing it at all. So do you think it's possible that in many places what's happened is that for people who were not in the gym at all before, and I think CrossFit's done a phenomenal, I think we both can agree CrossFit's done a phenomenal job at getting people off the couch and getting people moving in the gym. I don't know that I agree with that. Uh, I would say CrossFit's done a good job of getting people who weren't getting results in other gyms to get results in a CrossFit gym. I think okay. that I think that their biggest opportunity is to get people off the couch. Got it. Okay, so that's a better way to say it. Um, I think that for the people who weren't getting results before, who were introduced to the movements that are popular in CrossFit, these were very, very new stimuli mm-hmm. for a lot of them. And this is where the results came from, mm-hmm. right? And now... You have to broaden that scope of stimuli. Right, they're not new stimuli anymore. Right. It's exactly, yeah. So what, what you're describing there, to kind of wrap this up, is I, everybody probably remembers their first CrossFit workout, if you do CrossFit. Your abs were sore the next day, and you didn't even work your abs. You're not sure that happened. Your, your legs are sore, and you didn't even feel like you did all that much with your legs. And your body is just like, what happened to me yesterday? And you went into the workout feeling like you were probably pretty fit, and then you had a massive ego check at the door, and that's what brought you back for workout number two. Mm-hmm. How often does that happen now? Yep. Once you've been there for a while, how often does it happen? You have to look to your left and to your right, to your friends who've been there with you for a long time, and compete with them to have any semblance of that happening again. Right. What could we do to a person who's gained the fitness that they gained from being in a CrossFit gym that would reproduce that experience? Yeah. And if we can do that over and over again then I believe we're on to something. I agree. And I think you're limited by your creativity here. One thing that came to my mind is when I was, um, when I was shadowing in your clinic as an intern, coach Rob Maloney at uh, Island Park Fitness, what is now Island Park Fitness now, there was uh, a workout during which 
he had everyone take a tennis ball during rest in between sets of an exercise and hit a wall ball target from 30 feet away for as many reps out of 10 as possible and accumulate their total score by the end of the thing. And it was opportunity for, for people who had never thrown anything in 10 years to start to talk about what, what throwing means. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're tired. Hit this little thing. Also throw less with your shoulder and more with your entire body. It was really, really cool. And I think there's infinite opportunity for people to start doing that. All right. I don't remember that workout, but that is pretty cool. You didn't really work out much. That's not true. Turn pro guys. See you out there. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the active life podcast. If you did, please be sure to head to wherever you listened to it and give us a quality review as well as five stars if you can spare them. If you want more from us, feel free to follow all of our social media accounts at Active Life Professional, Active Life Rx, and Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram. Remember, at Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym and the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. We also believe that that future is now.